My sermon is Knowing Jesus and the passage is Philippians chapter 3 verses 7 through to 10. Last week we studied the first six verses of Philippians chapter 3 and we looked at people who in verse 2 were described by the Apostle Paul as the concision or the mutilation. They were people who professed faith in Jesus when in fact they were the enemies of the gospel and that is because they taught that it was necessary to observe Old Testament ordinances such as circumcision of the flesh in order to be saved. In Galatians chapter 1 the apostle had very strong words to say about such people. He said, let him be accursed. In Philippians chapter 1 Paul had already urged the Philippians not to be afraid of the concision and as we can see in chapter 3 and verse 1 he further urged them to rejoice in the Lord. As an eight day old Jewish baby Paul had been circumcised in his flesh in compliance with the Old Testament law of Moses. Nevertheless in verse 3 he said for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. In that verse, Paul called the uncircumcised Philippians and himself the circumcision. Whilst at the same time, he rejected any confidence in the flesh. When you think that circumcision is of the flesh, Perhaps what Paul said in verse 3 may not make a lot of sense to you, unless you are familiar with Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, where he said, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men but of God. As such Paul was talking about the Philippian Christians and himself receiving another kind of circumcision a spiritual one. What that means is that all who really do possess Jesus as their saviour and their lord and who do not just profess him as such, have received heart surgery at the hands of the great physician, Almighty God, and they have been circumcised in their hearts. Whether they be male or female, it matters not. Born again Christians are spiritual Jews who worship God in spirit and in truth. They are the true Israel of God. Many of us have spent endless hours prayerfully studying and benefiting from the doctrine of the Apostle Paul and many of us probably know something about the persecution of the church when he was a Pharisee. Today we will be reminded of how he was back in those days but also we're going to learn a lot more about his all-consuming passion for his great God and Saviour Jesus Christ after he became a Christian. Reading verse 6 
Paul said, Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, speaking about himself there. In John chapter 16, verses 2 and 3, Jesus said to his apostles, They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. Well, that was most certainly the case with Paul before his Damascus Road encounter with Jesus. For example, Saul, as his name was, prior to becoming a Christian, had embarked on a journey to Damascus from Jerusalem in order to round up Christians. As it is written in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, that is the church, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Therefore, before Paul came to a saving knowledge of Jesus, he equated zeal with persecuting the body of Christ, the church. As Jesus said when he appeared to Saul on the Damascus road, when light from heaven shined round about him, this is what Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Can you see that Jesus considered Saul's zealous persecution of the church as being tantamount to persecution of him, of Jesus? Therefore, as a religious Jew, Paul's vicious attacks against Christians were ultimately against God, whose law he blindly imagined himself to have been obedient to when he said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 6, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. That zeal most certainly was not a zeal which was in accordance with God's will. And that is because Paul, when he was unregenerate, and not just him, but Israel as a whole, failed to acknowledge that their own righteous acts were as filthy rags before God. Therefore, the righteousness that Paul imagined that he possessed when he was a Jew was in fact a self-righteousness. Although it produced a zeal for God, it was not according to knowledge, and that is because he sought to establish his own righteousness instead of the righteousness of God. Before Paul came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was zealous, that's for sure, but it was not a zeal that was in accordance with God's will. However, by the grace of God, about 20 years after his conversion, the Apostle Paul taught in Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through to 24, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. 
But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14 tells us that those who have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ have been redeemed from all iniquity and they have been purified unto Jesus, a peculiar or special people, zealous of good works. Being zealous of good works can be seen in a Christian's love for the brethren and tending to their needs, which in turn is a reflection of the Christian's love for his God and Saviour. As a servant of God and an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, that kind of zeal was clearly seen in Paul. How very different it was to his zeal when when in his unregenerate state he persecuted the church unto death. We'll look now at verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those things I counted loss for Christ. When Paul was a religious Jew, he considered his observance of various Old Testament ordinances to be gain. However, as a Christian, he acknowledged in verse 7 that it was a worthless investment. By the grace of God, he recognised that Christ is of infinitely greater value. As Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through to 4, concerning the righteousness of the Jews, he said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. What he said about Israel in those verses would have applied equally to him when he sought to establish his own righteousness before God. But things were very different now in that Christ Jesus was his one and only righteousness. The Lord Jesus Christ gave an example of how the Apostle Paul would have been when he spoke, when Jesus spoke a parable about a Pharisee who considered his works of the law as gain. Jesus contrasted that man and his self-righteousness with another man who simply cried up to heaven for mercy. In Luke chapter 18, verses 10 to 14, Jesus said, Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, 
unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice in, twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but beat upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. It couldn't be clearer, could it? What this all means is that if you are someone who is still hanging on to some deluded idea that you will be accepted by God through your own merits, you need to fall on your knees and you need to cry out to God for mercy, pleading nothing other than the life of perfect obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ, his sacrificial death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, or else be damned. Let's now look at verses 8 through to 9. Paul said, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. In those verses, the Apostle gave the Lord Jesus Christ the highest honour with all that he had ever aspired to or achieved or acquired and lost, paling into insignificance for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus, whom he owned as his Lord. Furthermore, he considered everything else as dung, that he may win Christ. More generally, and without a doubt, a person who by the grace of God wins Christ does suffer loss. For one thing, all true Christians are stripped of their filthy rags of self-righteousness, they are clothed by God with garments of salvation, and they are covered with the robe of righteousness of God through faith in his dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Beyond that, if you are a Christian, you may well suffer loss of your reputation among men. You may lose family and friends. You may say goodbye to your promotion prospects and perhaps even to your job. Ultimately, you may even suffer the loss of your life. Even so, all of those things are as dung compared to winning Christ or gaining an interest in him. We shall now look at verse 10. In that verse, Paul said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. I'll never forget something that happened about 27 years ago when I was in my 30s and I was a new Christian. 
I was out in central London doing some open-air evangelism with my best friend, an old man by the name of Albert. I just happened to hear Albert mutter to himself, that I may know him. Albert did know the Lord Jesus Christ. So did the Apostle Paul, and so does everyone who truly belongs to Jesus. Mind you, it's not just about having a head knowledge of Jesus. The knowledge has to drop into your heart, and it has to become a heart knowledge. It needs to be more than an intellectual knowledge. It needs to be a saving knowledge, and that can only come through an encounter with Christ. For example, Jesus met with Paul in a flash of blinding light on the Damascus Road. Most of us probably do not have such a dramatic conversion testimony testimony as the Apostle Paul. Even so, if you are a born-again Christian, you are someone whom God has drawn to his Son. He has revealed Jesus to you and in you. God has shined in your heart to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That, dear friends, is knowing Jesus. And it is all of God, and to God be the glory. But also in verse 10, there is a sense of Paul striving to know Jesus more and more each day. And I think that that is what was going on with my dear friend Albert. That all-consuming desire of Christians to grow in the knowledge of Jesus is evident in the verses that follow on in this chapter. We sing that hymn with the words, More about Jesus would I know, more of his grace to others show. More of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me. Surely the greatest desire of everyone who belongs to Jesus is not about accumulating more wealth or staying fit and healthy or even staying alive. It's about knowing him more and more each day. Knowing him more than we even know our wives our husbands, our children, our family, our friends, and everyone and everything else for that matter. And the way to grow in the knowledge of Jesus is through prayerfully reading the scriptures. Otherwise, your Jesus may well be little or nothing more than the figment of your imagination. Let's have a look at verse 10 again. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. To know Jesus is to know the power of his resurrection. Christians are living branches that are savingly connected to a living Saviour, who is the true vine, and from whom they receive a continual flow of divine grace. To know Jesus is to share in his sufferings. That is a wonderful thing and a great privilege indeed. 
faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and suffering for his sake are to be regarded as double blessings from God. The Apostle Paul was someone who was often scourged, he was stoned and left for dead, he was imprisoned for Christ's sake, he suffered the loss of all things and he counted them as dung. About 1500 years earlier, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Last of all in verse 10, to know Jesus is to be, to be conformed to his death. If you are a Christian, you are crucified with Christ and the old man is dead. Your identity is no longer in Adam. By the grace of God, it is now in Jesus. Through faith in him, you are dead to sin, but you are alive to God. Finally, I'll leave you with something to think about, especially those of you who have not shown repentance towards God and faith in his dear son. No Jesus means no peace, but to know Jesus is to know peace and not just any old peace, but the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Blessed are you, if you can sing along to our closing hymn and shoot from the heart when you say, All I once held dear, built my life upon, all this world reveres and wars to own, all I once thought gain, I have counted loss, spent and worthless now compared to this, knowing you, Jesus. Amen.